In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. On this day, on September 26th, the church celebrates the repose of the Apostle and Evangelist John, who's given the title the Theologian. And um, John was a nephew of Jesus. Joseph the betrothed had a daughter named Salome. She married a man named Zebedee, and they had two boys named James and John. So Salome is actually a stepsister of Jesus. And James and John were actually Christ's nephews. Um, John was 17, 17 years old when the Lord started his ministry and called the 12 disciples to himself. So he was the youngest of the disciples. um, And he was also known as the virgin disciple, uh, probably because of his innocence and his youth. Uh, And he was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So when you read in the Gospels, the disciple whom Jesus loved, it's John talking about himself, actually. And he was the one who laid on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper um, and, and asked who would betray him. And even though he was the youngest, even though he was the youngest, John was the only one who stayed with Christ when Christ was arrested. He was the only one. He had, so to speak, the greatest courage of all the disciples in that moment. And of all the disciples, he's the only one who did not die a martyr. He almost died. And so he was actually a confessor. But he did not die um, a, a martyric death. But because John, John also, interestingly, is one of the only saints who is depicted as both a young man and as an old man and icons. We see both for him because he was so young when he was following the Lord. Um, And then also he wrote his gospel and uh, epistles and the book of Revelation in his old age on the island of Patmos. Um, So he's depicted as an old man as well. Uh, he lived to be over a hundred years old and, um, and was the last eyewitness of Christ who was alive. But because St. John was so young when he became a disciple of the Lord, I thought it fitting that um, earlier, or two weeks ago, the, the Metropolitan sent out a five-page encyclical for the Year of the Youth. And I wanted to talk about that. This isn't just a memo. This isn't just a memo. This is our Metropolitan casting a vision, so to speak. And I wanted to talk about that today in the homily. Um, Our Metropolitan, uh, he says that he suggested it to the Assembly of Bishops, but whoever's idea it was, it doesn't matter. The Assembly of Bishops has declared that this year will be the year of youth, the year of youth. And I'm not sure if that means just 2021 or if it means like the school year, September to May. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So uh, the Assembly of Bishops wants to focus on youth. And, um, and our Metropolitan sent out his letter expressing some of his thoughts about the youth. And what's interesting is that this isn't just about 
We want to focus on youth. We have a problem with youth growing up and leaving the church when they're adults. So we're going to create more programs to keep them in the church. This is not that. This is a different vision. This is a different vision. So here are some of the thoughts that he writes. Um, he's writing to everybody and especially the parents and the adults. He says, quote, over and over again, I hear our young people talk about being set aflame in their faith by an experience, by an experience of camp or by an inspiring retreat, only to have that flame extinguished by apathetic religiosity in their home. <whistles> apathetic religiosity. Moreover, they tell me how their desire for inclusion in ministries is often greeted with coldness by older people who cling to those roles and their enthusiasm for new ideas is often met with cynicism by those who insist that things be done as they have always been. How can we engage young people with the gospel if we do not make the effort to understand them and intentionally embrace them as full members of the church? End quote. Paragraph later, he says, We need to draw upon the love and humility of Christ in order to work with one another, heal one another, and rejoice in one another. Our way forward is not in alienation, but in communion, not in judgment, but in forgiveness, not in lecturing, but in listening. And two paragraphs later, he says, One truth we must face head on is that we cannot merely plan ourselves out of this crisis, the crisis of our youth leaving the church. And just for an example, um, there is a, a Barna study done within the last 10 years that showed that more than 60% of young people who grow, grow up going to church every week don't ever go to church once they go to college and beyond. They never return to church. 60%. And this is true in the Orthodox Church as well. But he says, we cannot merely plan ourselves out of this crisis by hiring a charismatic youth director, by designing the perfect curriculum, or by organizing some program retreat or sports tournament. These things are the icing on the cake, but they are not the cake itself. He says, in a spirit of repentance, we must ask some difficult questions. How often do our parents prioritize their children's sports and other activities over bringing them face to face with the living God? How often do our parents pray with their children at home and speak with them about Christ and the saints? In our own lives, do we model fasting and charity or self-indulgence and greed as an example for our children to follow? Do we encourage moral living as a God-given and life-giving means of sanctification? Or do we just demand adherence to cultural prohibitions, or worse yet, do we ignore morality altogether? At the most basic level, do parents, godparents, aunts, uncles, take responsibility throughout the week for passing down the faith to the children entrusted to them by God, or do they leave this job entirely to the priests, Sunday school teachers, and youth workers who only see them at best for a couple hours a week? He says, there is an unwritten curriculum we teach our youth every moment of every day. So these are some of his thoughts that really jumped out to me. And um, I love the fact that he's not putting the responsibility solely on the programs or the personnel of the church. 
Um, if we love our youth, we will teach them the gospel. If we love our children, we will teach them to fast. If we love our children, we will go to confession and model that behavior for them. If we love our children, we will bring them to church. It's not to say that people who don't do those things don't love their children, but if we truly care about their souls, we need to give them what the church says is good for their souls. When children are growing up, we feed them healthy food, for the most part, because we love them and we want them to be healthy. And the same is true for their souls. We need to feed their souls with good things. And the fact of the matter is, the priest, a youth worker, a godparent, can't compete against the time the child spends with everybody else in their life. If our church were to hire a youth worker, for example, the odds of your child staying in church as an adult would probably rise by about 5%. 5%. But if you have dinner five nights a week with your children, and if at that dinner you crack open the Bible and you talk about the stories therein, talk about the life of Jesus, talk about what you heard and witnessed at church this week, or what you're looking forward to at church the coming week, your odds, the odds of that child staying in church as an adult, rise exponentially. Exponentially. Youth workers and priests, deacons, godparents, no matter how much we love children, we cannot do the same job that parents can do. There is a special bond between children and parents and as our Metropolitan said, there is an unwritten curriculum that we teach them every day. Many people feel burdened by this responsibility and they say, I can't do it. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to teach them. I'm not a teacher. To which we reply, you teach them all the time. Teach them to be honest. Teach by being honest yourself. Teach them to fast by fasting yourself. Teach them to go to confession by going to confession to yourself. Talk to them about your tithe. Talk to them about how when they have a lemonade stand and they're counting all the loot that they've made from the neighborhood, that, hey, we need to set aside 10% to take it to the church and drop it in the box. Why? Because that's what God asks of us, right? We teach them these things in simple ways. We don't have to force everything upon them necessarily, and when they're older, they will most definitely choose. But we need to engage them, and we need to engage them with a life of authentic spirituality. The problem is, so many people feel burdened and they feel there are so many things to do, so many things to teach them, so many rules to follow, and they just give up before they start. They just give up before they start. You know, in um, Star Wars Episode 5, there's a famous line from Yoda. It's when Luke is trying to, uh, Yoda tells Luke to raise up the, uh, the, the ship that he crashed into the swamp, right? Uh, this is down in Dagobah. And, and, and Luke has to, what's it called, an X-fighter? An X-wing, okay? 
Yoda tells Luke, raise up this X-Wing out of the swamp, but only use your mind, right? And Luke says, okay, I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. And Yoda says, do or do not, right? He's got that great voice. Do or do not, there is no try. And you know what? That is completely unorthodox. I love Yoda. He's very wise. He's very cute. He spawned baby Yoda. Actually, he didn't, but... But that line is not orthodox. Do or do not, there is no try. Too many times, we adults decide not to do, not to try. I don't think I can do it, so therefore I'm not going to try. But the orthodox ethos is, I'm going to try even knowing that I'm likely to fail. And when it comes to engaging with our children and teaching them the faith, when it comes to reading the Bible with them or saying prayers with them, it's not about doing it right. It's about doing it at all. If I could sum up our Metropolitan's five-page letter in one word, it would be this. Try. Try. Try to do something that you know you need to do. Try something different when things aren't working. Try to model the repentance that we desire, both in ourselves and in others, especially in our children. Look, when, when a parent catches their child and the child has done something, what do we want more than anything? We already know what they did, right? What do we want more than anything? We want them to confess and be honest and apologize, right? That, that goes a long way. And if you're a child listening to this, trust me, the punishment is far less severe when you just come clean. We just in Christian Ed the last few Saturdays just learned about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, right? What's the problem? They don't Apologize. They don't confess. They aren't honest about it. But as parents, we have to be honest too. When we lose our temper, we need to go back to our children and say, I made a mistake and I'm really sorry. We have to try. The church sets a high bar for our lives. And it's okay that we fail as long as we're trying. It's not okay to fail without trying. We have to always get back up from our falls and our failures and keep trying. And this is true as parents. There's a book that I handed out about five years ago. I gave one to everybody in the church, every family in the church. And some of you might not have it. And I asked parents to read this. I asked adults to read this. Even if you don't have children. Or even if you don't have young children, if your children are grown up and out of the house. It's called Family-Based Youth Ministry. And you remember this? Does anybody remember receiving a copy of this? I'm just getting a lot of blank stares. It's kind of bothersome. This is from the library, okay? And you can order it on Amazon. It's the best book about youth ministry. Why? Because it doesn't put the responsibility on the church. It puts the responsibility on the parents and everybody else. So, 
Here's my encouragement and here's my exhortation. Number one, we're going to try. As parents, as adults, as neighbors, as aunts, uncles, godparents, and church members, we're going to try to model the Christian life for our youth. That means we might need to wake up a little earlier on Sunday. We might need to read a little more. We might need to watch a little less TV. We might need to adjust some things. Okay, let's give it a try. Because as St. Seraphim of Sarov says, if you save yourself, a thousands around you will be saved. And our youth will see straight through the hypocrisy of us telling them we want them to do something without doing it ourselves. Okay? So number one, we try. And number two, we engage. We engage. I want you to think very carefully about this. How many times at coffee hour do you walk right past a child without acknowledging them? Some of you do, some of you don't. I'm not pointing fingers. But we have to remember, children are people too. And they want to be acknowledged. They want to be heard, they want to be seen, and they want to be loved. They want to be loved. Okay? So we have to get to know them. If you come to this church and you don't have young children that you bring with you, like, smile and say hello to the little people that you see. They're wonderful. They're wonderful. Last week I heard all about kindergarten from a child that's not mine. I had the greatest time at coffee hour hearing about kindergarten. It was awesome. So, we're going to try to do better ourselves. We're going to engage with our children. And number three, here's what I ask. The last thing that I ask. If you do something in the church, if you make bread, if you ring bells, if you sing, if you, do, if you clean the floors, whatever it is that you do in the church, as a ministry, as an offering, first of all, we thank you for it. Secondly, I encourage you to find a way to get other people involved, especially young people. Because we don't need a children's choir that people, that kids sing in and then graduate from, and then they, they have no place. We need a choir that includes children, right? We do, a, we do a pretty good job of that. Our choir director is very inclusive and tries to get people to sing, right? We, we want our children to be a part of the ministries of the church, so that when they grow up, it's natural. They just keep doing it. It's not us versus them or us separate from them. It's us all together. All of us. All of us. And one thing I really love about our Christian Ed on Saturday nights is that we have people from ages 2 to 80 together learning about Christ. It's us together. Just as we don't have a children's service in the Orthodox Church, we just have the liturgy, and it's for everybody. Just as when a baby is born, they don't sit at a different table than mom and dad. Everybody sits together and eats dinner together. So try to invite them in to whatever it is you do. It's going to be challenging, and there are some things like we don't need, like Deacon Tom knows, we don't need five-year-olds on the roof. 
Like, we're not going down that road, okay? <laughs> like, they're, they're, we have to be reasonable. But, where possible, let's, let's try to challenge our children and invite them into what we do. This book, Family-Based Youth Ministry, if you have it at home, dust it off the shelf, open it up, there are great ideas in here. Great ideas, and I hope you'll take it to heart. Our Metropolitan's letter is in our bulletin on our website. I hope you'll read it, and I hope you'll take it to heart. This isn't about pointing fingers or casting blame. This is about love. This is about loving God, loving our children, and loving ourselves enough to say, I can do better. I'm going to try to do better. So, brothers and sisters, we must make the church a welcoming and loving place for everybody. And make sure we don't just make it a club just for the older people who know what's going on. We aren't here to tolerate our children. We're here to become like children so that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'm very excited. I'm very excited about the challenges that are before us and the opportunities that we have to work together for our salvation and for those of our children and our families. And I pray that we can all, in true humility and repentance, move forward with an earnest spirit, desiring that we can all be together in the kingdom of heaven. All of us. Where we can love God and sing and praise and glorify His holy name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is in our midst.